Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots to learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. And on the line from Switzerland, we have a very, very interesting man. And uh, he is going to be telling us all sorts of wonderful stories about simulators, the need for them, about cross-country clinics, about taking off at 6,400 meters altitude. He's going to be talking about paragliding insurance. He's going to be talking about traveling around the world. And he's an interesting man, a lot of stories to tell. When I asked him to send me a small CV, he sent me the following. I started flying in 1987. From 1990 until 2000, I was contributing to all sorts of paragliding magazines like Parapente magazine, Paraworld, Mag, and he even published his own book called Parapente Sauvage in 1999. In 2000 to 2002, he was climbing and flying the Andes. In 2003 till 2011, uh, he developed brand of French paragliders called Nervure, <laughs> which a few minutes ago he said was quite interesting. From 2011 until today, he's been dedicated to running cross-country clinics around the world and also to develop this organization called APPI. Now, APPI exists in 130 countries. I didn't know that. It started in 2009 and it's all about quality and safety. It has 10,000 members and if I understand it correctly, and Manu is going to clarify this for me in a moment, uh, is actually all around letting more people have access to paragliding as such. My friend Shaheen Fala from Iran definitely insisted that I speak to this extremely interesting gentleman. Currently flies a Bruce Goldsmith design Cure 2. I had the great opportunity of doing a podcast with the great Bruce Goldsmith this morning, and that will also be coming out in this podcast in the next uh, days. We're going to get some very interesting top tips about safety. We are going to hear a pretty crazy story and, of course, a couple of surprises in it. Manu, welcome onto the show. I would like to ask you straight away to launch into what you were telling me of highly interesting a few minutes ago about the APPI. What is that? How does it work? Hey, Steve. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So, um, well, a few words about APPI. APPI is, APPI is the Association of Paragliding Pilots and Instructors. The idea of APPI was to build an international association to gather, you know, the pilot around the world. And as you said, you know, this is basically what you did. As today we are in 134 countries, we have 10,000 members. And what, what was the main goal of APPI? 2009, uh, we, we realized that, you know, more and more pilots travel and when they arrive in a country, maybe they will start to learn paragliding and then they travel another country and they want to keep on, you know, learning. And so they were um, facing the problem that, you know, every system in every country was different. And so we, we thought that it would be a good idea to build, you know, like United International System. So that was 
the first idea. The second point also is that we realize on the field that the level of the tandem pilot or the instructors you know, in the world was uneven. The idea was to build um, an education system with a good quality and even quality in the APPI members guarantee, you know, like a certain uh, level of quality, you know, to all the schools and tandem pilots. So, uh, so that uh, the pilots, they could find, you know, in the APPI red, some quality. So this was, you know, basically the two idea. And the third idea, which is finally the dream of APPI, the dream of APPI is that, you know, like today, if you are a, let's say, pilot from South Africa and you want, you know, to go fly in another country, uh, it's not always easy, especially if you are tandem pilot, if you are an instructor and you want to get to that country and operate. Basically, our dream is that our international system to be recognized everywhere in the world so that, you know, every pilot could travel and fly do tandem or instruct, you know, but this is basically what we're working on and there's still a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, trying to get the world of paragliding together, good luck to that. I mean, each different country has their opinion. You have the DHV, you have the FAI, you have yourselves, you have different certifications. Uh, one of the problems that Bruce Goldsmith was telling me this morning was just trying to go and certify a glider. You know, uh, the cost factor involved. You mentioned that the APPI is in Hong Kong, in Bosnia, in Ecuador. 134 countries is a hell of a big thing. And to do all of that in just over 10 years is is quite a fantastic thing to get 10,000 members. People, of course, having a membership for very, very cheap money. You mentioned 27 euros. Um, You also, of course, are offering some kind of insurance to pilots uh, in the realm of the European Union and around. But it excludes acrobatic tandem gliding. Please carry on, Manu. Well, uh, yes, we have 10,000 members in 134 countries. However, not all those 134 countries recognize APPI. Huh? Uh, we have a few countries, you know, that recognize APPI and we are uh, working on it. Um, for the insurance, basically, we have been working so hard to provide insurance to our members and and finally we succeed but it's a little bit limited for the moment but we are working on ex- extend it you know for the moment we are able to ensure whatever uh, european citizen but we are also able to ensure whatever pilot or tandem pilot or instructor that is operating in europe okay so it's not bad you know but uh, of course we want to extend this you know worldwide and um, our insurance is quite cheap uh, because basically we have excellent uh, rec- records, you know, we have excellent balance, you know, we don't have many accidents, you know, for the number of people that are insured. However, as you mentioned, there are some rules and one of those rules is um, we don't we don't allow you know a crew in tandem uh, above you know above the above the ground you know you can eventually you know perform a crew in tandem above the water with a crew on the water with two reserve and the glider that is you know um, certified for this uh, type of activity. However, you know lately there has been a lot of problem 
in in the world line failure in tandem uh, of like you know like dynamic maneuvers and so we took this you know in consideration and uh, and uh, acrobatic in tandem above the ground is not allowed in the PPI system so there are a few rules like this and finally you know the insurance company is pretty happy about you know what we do and we will probably be able you know to expand the the insurance you know to other country no great and i congratulate you on an ex- excellent safety record i think that's really something to say and i think that's really the way to go forward in paragliding uh talking about line failure the one and no actually two times i've thrown my reserve and both times we're on tandem and both times we're on equivalent failure. Uh, the line failure on a by beta three are uh, just a few weeks after it had been released. Uh, it had happened to a French pilot before and I was the second one when I had a 95 kilogram Australian uh, as a passenger in Austria. And he said, give me that big stuff, eh? So I said, don't worry, mate, hold on tighter. And as I went into the second wing over launching into a spiral, then I heard... <laughs> And uh, there were not many lines still attached to the glider. It was still kind of having a bit of form, but it definitely wasn't flying anymore. And then he asked me, uh, is everything all right? I said, everything is not all right. And, and now I said, now we throw the reserve. And uh, everything fortunately went fine. He landed hard on my leg. I had a very big think about doing big acro after that on any tandem paraglider. So I'm definitely on your side there. You do XC clinics. I would like to hear from you if you have some really top, very special priority tips that you would like to give any all-round pilot or any up-and-coming cross-country pilot. Uh, yeah, if, if I can conclude a little bit about APPI, because it's interesting what you just said, yeah. is that, for instance, in the APPI education system, when we teach to somebody, when we certify some someone, you know, as a tandem pilot, this, this guy has... I would say quite advanced knowledge about gear aging and gear maintenance, meaning mm-hmm. every tandem pilot from a PPI is able to control the trim of his glider and decide if mm-hmm. the, the glider is airworthy or not. This is one of the part of the exam, you know, like we don't, we don't let the people go without having knowledge about what is dynamo, how does it age, how, what is Aramid, how does it age? What is the danger in aging? You know, what may happen? Now, yeah, um, one part of my job is PI and develop, you know, I'm president of the pedagogical committee. So I'm in charge of development of the contents, you know, and build teams, you know, to develop the contents. And this is also one important point of a PPI is that all the contents that are developed in a PPI, they are uh, developed by a cosmopolitan team you know like um in the in the the french system is made by french people for french people you know the german system is made by german people you know for german people and um, in the ppi when uh, when we work together we have people from iran we have people from france we have people from latin america from usa everybody comes from india you know, and all those guys, you know, when they gather together and they work you know, on the contents, maybe one guy will say, hey, I have an idea. We will implement this in the system. And then the guy from India, he says, are you kidding? If we do this, you know, it's gonna never going to work in my country. Yeah, a kind of universality, you know, to the system. And, and, and I like it very much. 
Tell us about your cross-country clinics. What do you offer? How does it work? How do people sign up with you? So cross-country clinic is the other part of my job. Basically, I, I above all take the people different places in the world where it's possible to fly cross-country and, and with, with a decent, let's say, a safety level. You know, like the goal when you organize, you know, cross-country clinic is to first, you know, to find, you know, a good place where you don't expose, let's say, the pilot too much, you know, already uh, cross-country is uh, quite exposed, you know, and also when you have a group of people, you know, the internal motivation, you know, in the group will make the people maybe, you know, like push a little bit. So basically already find a good place uh, to fly cross-country where you can ensure a good safety level is a key point. So we, we in the winter, we work above all, you know, in Colombia, but also mm. work in Argentina and um, sometimes in some islands. In, the, in, in summertime, we are above all in Greece, um, Macedonia, those countries where we, we have good places, you know, to to do to do this um how do i do basically people you know <laughs> come look for me i we, we almost well i mean i make virtually no advertising about what i do and we are full uh, one year in advance one of our strengths is our ability to build groups of even level uh, we have typically more than 50 percent of pilots that come with us on a tour and a clinic, you know, we know them already. It's it's not so complicated to have a precise idea about the level of the other one. And as we don't move much, meaning when we are in Colombia, we are in Colombia for two months, we 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 proposed to people, you know, like three or four sessions of fifteen days. And it's not like you you call me and you say to me, okay, I would like to come, you know, the fifteenth of February. You say to me, I would like to come. I investigate to know what is your level. And I propose you uh, to join a group that would fit, you know, your level and your expectation. So this is another point, you know, that is very, very important about, you know, the safety is to have, you know, group of even level. Uh, so this is a um, point. And the last point about safety that is quite interesting is the way we work. We are uh, two instructors for a maximum of eight uh, pilots. So this, mm-hmm. is, um, this, is, this is basically uh, uh, how we work. So this is the part of the work. And um, I'd like to talk about the spirit you know, in which we work. Um, I've, I've always been traveling. You know, like uh, before I was, uh, before the paragliding, I was, you know, um, uh, sailing. So I sailed a lot, you know, and when I started to paraglide, I found, you know, in the paragliding a good opportunity to travel and fly. And so I've been traveling the world uh, for years, you know. And so what is interesting to me, you know, in the flight, the originality of the flight, the aesthetics of the flight. And this is basically what I want, you know, to bring to my customers, my clients, well, I would say my friends. <laughs> and so basically, I think the problem we usually have on a cross-country clinic is that the guy, they come and they want to perform. 
okay they want they want to improve their performance which is uh, let's say logical but the question is what is the performance in paragliding most of the time the pilot they connect the performance with i would say number of kilometers they fly you know like i would like to fly 100 kilometer 200 kilometer okay so this is basically um okay it's always cool you know to fly 100 kilometers the magic of the numbers you know <laughs> but um what what we try to do ourselves is basically mm, i really believe you know like there are some activity where you can you can try and push and you progress and and i really believe you know paragliding is not one of those activities of course it works you know but you expose yourself a lot so um uh, we we try rather to focus on such an objective you know we focus on uh, let's say um what are the points you want to improve how can we improve those points and we work specifically you know on this you know during the class and eventually the big flight arrives, you know, um, I would say just like this without, you know, really looking for it, you know, like when all the stuff, you know, they just like hook together and it becomes natural. Finally, you know, the guy is better, yeah, you know, like the flow, you know, like you you fly and then you analyze the situation and then you say oh i should go there or you have the feeling you should go there because we work on this also and then you go and it works you know and then it works again and then it works again and then you make you know like the distance but it's not really like seeking to making a distance you are seeking you know to to fly better and one of the most important point we have to work with our client I would call this the feel-good factor. Most of the guys you see coming, you know, in, in, in the cross-country clinic, most of them, they don't totally feel good in the air. You understand what I mean? Meaning? They are lacking confidence in the air. They are more on the scared or afraid side than on the confident side. Most of the guys, you know, when you see them flying, when you analyze the track and you look what they do, you fly beside them, you, you're just wondering, hey, why didn't you top that thermal, you know? I mean, I had the feeling like you were like running forward, you know? The point that is quite complicated in paragliding is to be able to wait, for instance, especially for the group flying. And most of the guys are not able to wait, for instance, because they don't, they don't feel comfortable. We have, we have some technique to have the guy, you know, feel comfortable when they fly. And we, we really focus on this because until the pilot feels really comfortable, really comfortable in the air, you can talk about technique, you can talk about strategy. Finally, you, don't, you, you will not really have uh, success. So the, the mental part, the fact that the pilot feels, you know, like good in the air is like the most important. And finally, we have to work a lot on this. And, Many pilots, I believe, you know, they forget a little bit about that. Where is your favorite place in the world to fly, Manu? <laughs> well, it's more than 33 years I fly and it's uh, complicated. It depends what you're looking for. I mean, I, I, I have, I, I fly 
many different ways. You know, I, I love mountain flying, climb, you know, hike and fly. I love, I love PV flight. I love, I love cross country. And uh, so uh, I like also, you know, like wonderful places where finally you, there is not much to do in terms of cross country, but you can just, you know, have, you know, a super nice um, tumbling journey and then you land and you're so happy because the place is beautiful, the people are beautiful, the relationship we ha you have with the guys there, the pilot around, you know. So it's not like one place. I, for the mountaineering, I love all the Cordillera Blanca in Peru, but of course, you know, like Pyrenees where I live are just, you know, uh, beautiful too. And uh, climbing some mountains in the Pyrenees can be sometimes as challenging, you know, I climb, as climbing uh, uh, more than 6,000 meter, you know, peak in the, in, in the Andes. Um, cross country, is um, many places and, and different feelings, you know, uh, can bring you, um, I, I, it depends more, you know, like I would say about, you know, what project I have in mind. Do you have a dream, uh, Steph? But I have dreams, you know, <laughs> but fulfill them, uh, then, you know, it becomes less, at this moment, I'm pretty obsessed by a special place, you know, in Colombia, where I I have a, a a dream flight, you know, I have a dream flight, and and I I flew, you know, many parts of these dream flights, but I I never, you know, completed it, and uh, and and uh, and so probably at this moment, you know, I'm I would I would probably answer, you know, um, the the Medellin area, South Medellin area, which is called Antioquia, or around Medellin is Antioquia, but the south part of, of Medellin, there is clearly a place where I have a, um, a dream flight I'd like to achieve, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty thinking about it at this moment. I have also another one in the Pyrenees where I live, fly in Montenegro. It's just beautiful because you fly close to the sea, you're really close to the sea, and it's very active, you know, in terms of tamale. And so you can have absolutely beautiful flights, you know, and with interesting flying, you know, like uh, tamale activity. I want to ask you, Manu, what it was like to fly from a mountain at 6,400 meters. That must be so crazy. Tell us about your experience, please. Yes, that that was really crazy for several reasons. The first reason is that I first went to Peru in 2001. Okay. I, I was, uh, I just finished my book, Parapon Sauvage, and I wanted, you know, to go for other, you know, other, other places. And I went to Peru and my dream was to climb the mountains and fly, you know, and so, I went there, I started to climb the mountains and I really fast, I started to uh, take people, you know, for tandem ride, but tandem ride like crazy, you know, like two, three days climbing the mountains and then flying from the top. So I flew many people from the Vayunararo. I did 20 flights from there. Is uh, um, 
5,600 meters. I flew people from the Ishinka, from the Urus, from the Tokearu, which is a 6,000 meter. So this was my life, you know, in the years 2001-2002. However, there were three mountains uh, that made me dream. And I, I never mm -hmm. managed to reach the top and fly them. And I stopped Peru in 2003. And I stayed with that dream of those three mountains. And last year, oh, well, two years ago, I said, okay, it's time to go again and try to fly those mountains. And um, one of those mountains uh, was the Tropical Key. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the other mountain was Rapalca. And the, the, the mountain I was, I was, you know, the more excited, you know, and makes me uh, dream is the Artesan Raro. So those are the three mountains. Right. Never, I never reached the summit. And I tried many times. I never was, a, I was never able, you know, to reach the summit. And, and finally had that dream. And so 20 years later, <laughs> I would say, 17 years later, I decided to go again and uh, I prepared physically quite seriously you know for a year for this uh, journey and i went to peru and finally when i arrived you know in peru it appeared that um, one of the mountain was not in good conditions um another nobody nobody so far reached the top one had a lot of frogs you know falling in the face so it was not really like uh, good you know to climb Mm -hmm. And the third one, the tropical key, was uh, in perfect conditions. And so I, I, I need quite a long time, you know, to climatize. So I was, um, I took the time I needed to climatize and uh, I climbed several mountains and I flew them, you know, for climatization. And that was also a shock, you know, to see how the mountain changed you know in 20 years it's just crazy when you're there you know every day you don't realize but um that mountain Vayunararu, i climbed 20 times i could go you know closing my eyes you know but I, and and i, I wouldn't yeah. recognize you know uh, the, the mountain at all you know it was so different and uh, so basically i i flew those mountains that was a lot of emotion to fly them again and meet the people again, you know, because I had very, very, very good friends. You know, I lived almost, you know, like uh, 20 months in Peru in the years 2001, 2003, 2025. So I had a lot of friends around there. And um, and then finally, I, I, I went for for the tropical key. Normally, it's four, five, you know, climbing. If you if you take it a little bit easy, um, we uh, it's not like I'm rushing or trying to make a competition, but we had to do it in three days because we identified, oh. you know, a, a flying window to rush a little bit, you know, and with a friend of mine. And finally, we reached the top, and it was pretty much flyable. <laughs> Let's say for a 20 years dream, it was flyable, you know, like if it, it yeah. was not a dream I had for 20 years, I would probably have walked down, you know, but uh, I had pretty much, you know, the, the feeling like it was that day or never, you know, so basically I wouldn't say the conditions were optimal, but I was, um, 
it was doable and I did it. And the flight, the takeoff was very technical, so complicated. We climbed the mountains, you know, on our own with 20 kilos, you know, uh, each of us. We climbed the mountain to the top with the 20 kilos because, of course, as we fly, you know, we don't leave nothing. So we have to reach the summit with the tent, kitchen, you know, everything. And then take off at 6,400, almost 400 meters, 380 meters yeah. in rather complicated conditions. And it was so, so turbulent exit, you know, take off. But like I fly more or less 300 uh, hours a year, you know, for 20 years. So that was not something undoable. So I took off from Tropical Key. And when you take off from Tropical Key, then you go on the face of the Waskaran. That face uh, is always a route that I have been always dreaming of, but it's far beyond my technical possibilities. And it's the Paragot route. And I was able to saw that route, go up on the face of the Waskaran in dynamic, you know, in that route. And that was just, just, just amazing. Wow. Yeah. And finally, after a while, you know, I left the Waskaran. I went in the main valley and, and going down, there were some thermal activity. And uh, I was I was able, uh, you know, to fly a, a part of the route in direction of Huaraz, climbing a little bit in the thermal. But I was heavy loaded with a small glider, but it was it was still possible. And I did not reach Huaraz, but I did. <laughs> so that was just an incredible flight. And when I landed, I was, let's say, important moment of my flying career. I mean, you have got really a lot of uh, stamina to make something like that. Wow. I mean, I listen to your stories and I just feel like I'm useless pilot next to it. You know, that's to take off at 6,400 meters firstly is an achievement. To take off at 6,400 meters with adverse weather conditions is a second achievement with turbulence and stuff and the third then you've still got all your camping equipment with you what the hell how does that work absolutely fantastic and in conclusion as we wrap up this podcast Manu I just want to ask you if you have any last tips or any funny story to tell before we finish up here today Yes, I'm, I'm pretty concerned, you know, about safety. As a matter of fact, I've been flying, you know, like uh, 30 years. I'm kind of worrying about accidents. I don't know how it is, you know, in South Africa, in France, you know, the number of accidents do not go down, you know, uh, despite all the efforts of the French Federation, despite all the efforts of the instructors. I really believe, you know, the pilots, they should reconsider a little bit the objectives they put, you know, themselves. And and above all, maybe try to figure out what is what is a super flight, you know, like mm, I, I believe most of the pilots are a little bit too much, you know, in the influence of the competition vision. I mean, what, what we do in competition and they are a little bit too much, you know, like on this vision. And uh, big kilometers, you know, flying fast, you know, all those, those things. So, but basically what is a nice flight? For me, a nice flight is be able first, you know, to choose the right place to take off, a plan that is logical according, you know, to the conditions, to your ability, to your gear. Um, then make the flight 
taking, you know, the necessary safety margin. And finally, um, a nice flight is not only the number of kilometers you do, but it can be, you know, um, the aesthetic of the flight, uh, the originality of the flight, and just, you know, how you have been feeling during the flight, you know, and so this is basically the point. Too many people, you know, they make a flight and then they call story, you know, about, yeah, well, I was solo and I escaped. Okay, so it's cool. I I had, you know, a big collapse and I controlled, so it's cool, you know. <laughs> but finally, the for me, you know, maybe the, the best cross-country flight is the flight where you have nothing to tell. Mm-hmm. I, I, last year, I was I was taking a group of pilots on on uh, uh, let's say a project you know in Colombia uh, it's a route I opened and very little people repeated because it looks hairy and engaged you know but finally when you know the terrain it's very possible to do it with a really good you know uh, safety safety level we we did that flight we landed there it was beautiful incredible terrain we land and one guy he came to me and he asked to me hey um what can i what, what did you see during the flight how can i improve you know my my flying what advice you have to give to me i looked at him and i said to him what do you think about the today's flight what what's your opinion would you would you agree any people looking at the flight would call us crazy and he said, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, anybody looking at the track would say you were crazy. And I asked to him, did you feel at any moment that you were in danger? He said, no, uh, I knew all the time where I was, what I had to do, what altitude I had to reach. And if I did not reach that altitude, you know what I should do. I don't have anything else to teach you. Yeah, basically, basically, what I like is to do something that is... I would say not common, but in a way that is mm. really common. And this is really the advice I would I would say to the people: if you make a flight and 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 you have nothing to tell about it, yeah, I climbed, I reached a good altitude, and then I knew where I had to go. I went there; it was working. And if it wouldn't work, I would land safely there. And finally, there is no moment where I was, you know, so low above the forest and then the magic figure of God, you know, came and lifted me up, you know, and otherwise I would still be hanging in the trees with the crazy monkeys or whatever. So if you have nothing like this to tell, it's because finally you, you manage correctly, you know, the project. And this is probably the last word I want to say, like, uh, if you have nothing speci- special, you know, to tell about, you know, like uh, your flying stuff is because uh, well you fly you fly well you fly well you have you know the good attitude and this is uh, basically most important really interesting to listen to you manu uh, you have a, a very interesting insight and psychology towards what is the perfect flight um, uh, I, I was listening to you from a very different uh, thinking and very different perspective and i i find it uh, super intriguing to see how your head is around the perfect flight now obviously you and i know that for let's say 80 percent of pilots in the world a simple flight on holiday from the top of the mountain down to the bottom or some boring soaring on their coastal dune is just fine for them. Um, and there are lots of pilots like that. I mean, the DHV 
uh, did a survey where they asked people to honestly say how many flights they fly in a year. 80%, no, sorry, 85% of DHV members fly 10 or less flights per year, which in my opinion is absolutely sinful to be flying at that time. We shouldn't be in the air if we're only flying five, uh, five or 10 or 15 flights in a year. We should definitely not be paragliding. So um, to see this fine balance that you're talking about between pushing yourself, having challenges, uh, setting new routes, which you uh, clearly like to do because you've expressed that to me more than once, and is really interesting. But then I think a lot of pilots don't think like that, and they certainly don't consider things like that. So thank you very, very much for your time, and thank you very much for all your wonderful insights. It's been really a pleasure having you on this podcast. Thank you, Steph. Have a good flight, and I wish to everybody to find the way to feel really good in the air and 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 be happy look after yourself my friend really a pleasure and hope to do this again soon yeah so thanks